Turn with me to John chapter 13, Gospel of John chapter 13. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 17 and considering the example of Christ. John chapter 13, verses 6 through 17, the example of Christ. Beginning in verse 6, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you've given to us. Thank you also for the, the centerpiece of that word, which is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now, O Lord, that during this time of preaching, you would pour out your Holy Spirit unto us, that as Paul prayed for the Colossian church, we might grow in wisdom and understanding and in the knowledge of your will, being strengthened with all might in the inner man to endure all manner of trial and tribulation in following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, as uh, you have heard, I hope uh, repeatedly and clearly from my preaching ministry, the center of the scriptures and the center of Christian ministry is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, as we read in the book of Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first letter of the Bible's alphabet, and he's the last letter of the Bible's alphabet. He is the beginning of the creation of God, and he is the end goal of all of God's works, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus is presented to us predominantly as an object of faith. The, the, the beginning of our salvation and the substance of our salvation is that we are to believe in this person and trust in his work. That is how the Lord Jesus Christ is presented to us most of the time in the Scriptures. However, Christ is also presented to us as our example. Christ is also presented as the pattern which we are to follow as we live the Christian life. And it is in following the example of Christ that you really find the heart of what it means to be a Christian. As they say, it is in following the Lord Jesus Christ that you separate 
the men from the boys. All manner of people are happy to say that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they trust that Jesus died for them and for their sins. But when you begin to press people on following the example of Christ, well, now things get a little bit more difficult. Things get a little bit more rocky. Now, when we think about the example of Christ, all of us have certain aspects of Christ that we would like to imitate. Uh, You often hear it with uh, perhaps young men that are a little bit overzealous for the things of God. Like, yeah, I want to follow the example of Christ. Give me the whip. Where are the tables? Let's turn them over and drive these Pharisees out of the temple. Others, perhaps, uh, want to follow the example of Christ as a profound teacher, a a profound theologian who at 12 years old was able to stump even the priests and the scribes with his answers. In different seasons, in, in different places throughout the world, there may be a time for us to follow the example of Christ in driving out the money changers from the temple. There may be a time for us to follow the example of Christ in teaching the deep truths of the Word of God. But as we're going to see in this passage, the primary example that we are to follow, the the center of what Christ came to do, and the example that we are to follow, is to love His people by covering over their sins. In this passage, we're going to learn that to follow the example of Christ means to love His people by covering over their sins. We're going to see two things in this passage where Christ not only performs the foot washing, but He explains the foot washing. In verses 6 through 11, we have the foot washing itself. And then in verses 12 through 17, Christ explains the foot washing. Verses 6 through 11, it's the foot washing itself. And verses 12 through 17, Christ explains the foot washing. Now, before we get into some of the details of this, remember what Christ says about himself here. This is the example he left us with. This example of washing of feet. The, this is such an important aspect in our Lord's ministry that perhaps you're aware, many have taken foot washing and, and what the Lord says here and turned it into a sacrament. Some perform the act of foot washing ceremonially in the worship services. Perhaps some of you have been to churches like this. And we're going to see in this passage that that's a mistake, but it's a mistake in the right direction, meaning that they are taking what the Lord said seriously, we need to be washing each other's feet. Now, they go too far with it because they don't understand what foot washing is. So we're going to see first the act of foot washing and what it means. And in verses 6 through 11, the the thing I want you to walk away from this with, what Christ is doing in this passage is symbolic. He's performing a symbolic action that represents washing away sin. And we're going to see that as we look at the details. Verse 6, John tells us that he comes to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing to you, you do not understand now, but you will know afterwards. Peter responds in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, 
you have no part with me. Now, of all the characters in the Gospels and of all the characters in the New Testament, Peter is perhaps my favorite because Peter's very much like me. One of the things to understand about Peter is that he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. All of his faults and all of his failings, Peter loves Jesus. But it's in Peter's love for Jesus that his major fault comes out. And Peter's major fault is that he's often rash. He's often headstrong and he jumps to conclusions. We see another example of that here. The Lord Jesus comes to Peter and begins washing his feet. Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Now this is motivated by Peter's love for Christ. But it's also a reflection that this action that Christ is performing... Washing the feet is a menial, dirty task of servants and slaves. This is something that nobody chooses to do. Because, you know, in the society that they lived in, if you wore sandals and walked everywhere, your feet would be funky. You know, I used to do a lot of hiking and uh, hiking up on the Appalachian Trail and as you do a lot of hiking on the trail, your, your ankles get stronger, your feet get stronger, and you, especially in the summertime in Georgia, you dispense with the hiking boots. They're, they're too hot and they're too heavy. And a lot of people will hike with uh, sandals. The kind that I used are Chacos. Maybe you've heard of that brand of sandal. Chacos have a distinctive uh, pattern for the uh, webbing that holds it to your foot. After enough days in the woods hiking around in these Chacos, when you take the sandals off, there is a perfect outline of dirt where the webbing was on your foot. And that's a, a, uh, a voluntary, maybe a couple-day-long trip. Imagine if this was your lifestyle. This is how you got everywhere, wearing sandals and walking everywhere you went. So the, the foot washing was a menial task. And it was something that Peter thought, this is, this is beneath the dignity of my Lord. My Lord Jesus Christ is the one that I love. He is the Son of God who has the words of life. Peter was fully convinced that Jesus is the Son of David, and Jesus performs this menial task, and Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. This is beneath you. How dare you attempt to wash my feet? Well, Christ responds to him, and this is how we know that this action is symbolic of Uh, uh, covering over sin and removing sin. Notice how Christ responds to him. Jesus answered and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Uh, You have no part with me. This idea of washing is an idea you find throughout the Scriptures. And the idea of washing is most closely connected with the sacrament of baptism. Baptism, as it's presented to us in the Scriptures, is a symbolic washing that represents the removal of our sins. Turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, no, pardon me, it's First Peter. First Peter chapter 3, forgive me. First Peter chapter 3, 
Peter is writing about how Christ saves us, and in verse uh, 21, he speaks about baptism. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Now notice that Peter uses the sacrament of baptism, and he has to remove the the carnal, physical understanding of it. He says, baptism saves us not by the outward act of washing by itself. Baptism saves us by giving us a clear conscience before God. Well, what does a clear conscience mean? It's a conscience that has been forgiven of its sins. It's a conscience that has been washed, as Peter says here, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's been washed by the finished work of Christ, and having been washed, there's no more sin. The conscience is clear. We can approach God. We see this metaphor used also in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul speaks about Christ's love for his church. Ephesians chapter 5, he doesn't use the word baptism, but he does use the word washing. Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Notice what Paul tells us here about Christ's washing. Christ washes his bride to sanctify her fully, to remove from her all the remaining elements of sin. And so this metaphor, there's several other places we can look to to prove this, but The idea of washing in the Scriptures is an idea that refers to the removal of sin, the cleansing of the individual to make them holy. Well, Christ says in John 13, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, if if we are going to partake of the Lord Jesus Christ and partake of His glory and the salvation that He offers, He must wash us. If Christ does not wash us, we have no part in him. Well, Peter, he, he, he understands this point now. He, he again uh, goes to the other extreme. Notice in verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. See, Peter's starting to get it, but it's, it's a little slow going because of his zeal for the Lord. He realizes that I want to be a part of Christ. I want to be with Christ, and the Lord tells me that unless he washes me, I have no part in him. And so we ask the Lord, wash me fully, my hands, my feet, my head, wash all of it because of his love for his Lord. Well, Christ now corrects him again and says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Then John makes the comment. He says, he knows the one that would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Now, notice at this point how the Lord answers Peter. Christ is washing the feet. Peter says, not so, Lord. Christ says, I must wash you. Wash all of me. And the Lord says, you're already clean. 
You have already been cleansed by my grace and acceptance of you. You are already in a state of grace. Your sins have already been forgiven and you are completely clean, but not all of you. Now notice the commentary that John gives. He says, not all of you are clean because Christ knew the one that would betray him. This obviously refers to Judas Iscariot. We're going to see this later on in this chapter. Judas Iscariot is the one that would betray the Lord. And it's by contrast that we can learn the washing is about the covering over of sins. When Christ tells all the disciples, you are already clean, but not all of you, he's referring to Judas. Now, why is Judas not clean? Well, John tells us he's the one that's going to betray Christ. He's the one that is still so full of sin and wickedness that as John already told us in verse 2, the devil has already put it in Judas's heart to betray Christ. Judas is so full of sin, he has never been cleansed by Christ. His sins have never been removed, but he is nothing but a festering cesspool of sin all over. And so Christ says, you are all clean, but not all of you. And so at this point, I just want you to notice that when Christ washes the disciples' feet, he's referring to the covering over of sins. He's referring to washing off the sins that are simply on their feet. The disciples are already fully clean. Peter has already been fully cleansed. He doesn't need to take a bath because he's already been cleansed. All he needs is for his feet to be washed. All he needs is for his hands to be cleansed. This is a very important uh, metaphor for how we are to love one another. You see, if you are in a state of grace, if you have been united to the Lord Jesus Christ, by the word of the gospel, you are already clean. Christ has already taken away your sins through the washing of his blood. But, if you're like me, your feet still get dirty. As you walk the Christian life, you still uh, accumulate sins. Even though I love the Lord Jesus and I, and I want to obey him, even as Peter loves the Lord Jesus and wants to obey Jesus, he's going to commit a grievous sin later on. He's going to commit a sin that is so grievous, it makes him the parallel of Judas. Peter betrays and Judas betrays. But Peter is cleansed because he belongs to Christ. And so as we walk through the Christian life, we collect sins on our feet. We may have an unchecked word. We may have a, a, a stray thought. We may even fall, to, fall into a gross sin, the sin like Peter, betraying his Lord. And what Christ is telling us here by this symbolic act of washing the feet is that he still cleanses you. Even after you've been brought into the faith of Christ, Christ is still there washing your feet. He's still there to cleanse you and to sanctify you. Well, Christ performs this symbolic act, and now he begins to explain it, and he begins to explain why he's done this. And it's in this explanation, by the way, that we can learn it's not meant to be a sacrament because of what Christ says about the example. He says, first off, when he'd washed their feet, he takes his garments, sits down, and he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The first aspect of Christ explaining this is he he acknowledges that what he has done is something that is demeaning and menial. It's something that was always reserved for servants and slaves. But Christ, as the Lord of his church, says, you call me master and Lord. Good job. Now let's see if you really believe that I'm your master and Lord. If I, your master and Lord, the one who is superior to you, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, at the first place, I think what this means is that we are to cover over one another's sins in love. This is a mandate that's given to us throughout the Scriptures. Paul will say that love covers a multitude of sins. In the end of the Lord's Prayer, the Lord Jesus teaches us, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your trespasses be forgiven. But notice this beautiful image that John gives us in his way of doing things of what it means to cover over one another's sins. As you live the Christian life, and as your friends and neighbors live the Christian life, your feet are going to get dirty. Their feet are going to get dirty. And what Christ tells us is that if you love one another and follow the example of Christ, you should wash that stuff off. You should cover that over because Christ your Lord did the same thing. Now again, here's a, a, another way that following the example of Christ, sometimes we get it wrong. When somebody sins against us, what is our immediate reaction? Well, our immediate reaction might be like the Apostle John when he was uh, a younger disciple and when he was early on in the Lord's ministry. You remember what John and his brother James are called? They're called the sons of thunder. Because when people rejected Christ, James and John said, Lord, let us call down fire from heaven, just like Elijah did. And the Lord tells them, slow down. You don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man came to save men, not to destroy them. And so sometimes when people sin against us, when we notice the sins of others, we can, we can respond with this same kind of spirit. Lord, smite them down. Rain fire down from heaven. But the Lord says, no, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what I did. The Lord tells us that I, your master and Lord, washed your feet. You also do likewise. This is the key to Christian relationships. There's no profound book that you need to read. There's no profound conference you need to attend. There's no deep spiritual insight that you need to give, that you need to be given so that your relationships will work. It's all about washing feet. It's all about covering over one another's sins in love. Think about your relationships that you're in right now. Husbands and wives. This is critical to a Christian marriage. If you cannot forgive the sins of your spouse, your marriage will not work. But if you can learn, because I love them, and because Christ has cleansed them fully, I'm going to wash their feet and just cover over that sin. I'm not going to hold this grudge. I'm not going to be bitter about this. I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to lash out. I'm just going to cover over that sin 
and wash their feet. You know, sometimes my wife will mop the floors. And uh, sometimes I come in from yard work. And my wife is very gracious to me because when I come in with my dirty feet, it messes up her clean floors and she has to graciously say, sweetheart, take the shoes off because I just cleaned all of these floors. Sometimes we come into our relationships and in our lives with one another and our feet, because they are dirty, make a mess. Now the question you have to ask yourself in your relationships, husbands and wives, are you going to wash one another's feet? I know it's difficult. I know the temptation is to say, well, they are sinning against me. They've done it again. This is the same dirty toe that has been the dirtiest toe throughout our relationship since we got married, and it's still dirty. And the Lord Jesus says, wash it again. Keep washing the toe. Keep showing love to your spouse by washing that toe because Christ has washed your toes. Christ has washed your entire body through his blood. Not only for husbands and wives, parents and children, this, you know, it's a very sad, sad reality. Many, many children especially use the sins of their parents as an excuse to disrespect their parents. That is not what the commandment says. The commandment says, children, honor your father and mother. Period. One of the ways that you're going to be enabled to do that is by washing their feet. Covering over the sins of your parents. Now, this is especially hard when you start to become a young adult. When you start to become a more self-conscious young adult, you begin to see the faults of your parents. Before that point, it, it might be easy to think that your dad is a superhero. Your dad can do no wrong, but when he starts doing wrong, now you have a choice about whether or not you're going to be a Christian. Are you going to hold your dad's sins against him, or are you going to wash his feet the way the Lord Jesus says to do it here? Likewise, even if we have relationships with unbelievers, we are to wash their feet. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. Very interesting that uh, it's Peter who is helping us with this. 1 Peter 3, notice what he says to wives who are married to unbelievers. Wives, likewise, be, uh, 1 Peter 3, 1, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, etc., etc., let your uh, adornment be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now notice what Peter is telling these wives. They're married to unbelievers. An unbeliever is like somebody who has never taken a bath their entire life. They're covered with filthy sins. And Peter tells wives, even if you're married to an unbeliever, even if you have a relationship with an unbeliever in your workplace, in your extended family, you still love them by washing their feet. You be submissive to that husband. You, you show love and kindness to that person. Who knows? By your washing of their feet, that may be the thing that exposes to them how filthy they really are. You know, I, I mentioned about hiking in the Appalachian Trail. And uh, one of the things that you learn about yourself after you're on the trail for seven, eight, nine, ten days, 
that if you don't bathe, you begin to stink. You, you don't fully realize how stinky you are because all the people around you reek just the same, and you, and you eventually get used to it. Sadly, you can get used to your own funk, physically and spiritually. But what we would do when we were hiking is after, you know, 10 days on the trail, we're, we're starving, you know, we're a bunch of teenage guys, and so we would descend on the Pizza Hut. And we go to the Pizza Hut, all these smelly, dirty men, and order these pizzas, and we realize we see all these clean people around us who have bathed that morning, and we realize, man, we are nasty. We need to get a shower. We need to get a bath, because we now can see how dirty we are when we see what is clean. Likewise, in your relationships with unbelievers, as you wash their feet and you extend that grace of love and forgiveness to people, it might be the occasion for them to realize, man, I'm filthy. I need to be cleansed. I need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Christ washed Judas's feet as well. Christ washed all of their feet. Likewise, we also should wash the feet of those that we're in relationship with. Well, Christ uh, continues in John 13 about his example. He says, You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, here is how we know this is not sacramental. It was never intended to be a sacrament. Notice what Christ tells them. I'm doing this for you, so that you can follow my example. Do the exact same thing I'm doing. I'm washing your feet. You wash one another's feet. The sacraments are also symbolic, as we saw in First uh, Peter chapter 3. The sacraments are symbolic, but they're symbolic of something that only Christ can do. They are symbolic of the complete washing that only Christ can give. This symbolic action is symbolic of something that you can do. You can wash one another's feet. You can cover over the sins of those that you're in relationship with. This was never meant, as we see from Christ's conversation with Peter, to symbolize the full cleansing that Christ gives to us in the gospel. Therefore, it's not meant to be a sacrament. Even though it's an example Christ gives us, it was never meant to be performed sacramentally. Well, he goes on and says in verse 15, uh, sorry, verse 16, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Christ reinforces this example that we should follow it by returning to the idea of a master and a servant. And he, you know, he takes out one of the chief objections that we often have, isn't it? Christ is your master and Lord. You are his servants. The servant is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. Now, this is often the difficulty, isn't it? When somebody sins against us, we have to humble ourselves to forgive them of their sins. We have to bow down to the level of their feet and wash their feet. You notice that in this whole episode, Christ, before he does this, John makes a point of saying, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took on a towel, girded himself, poured out the water, went around washing the disciples' feet. When he's done, he puts his garments back on and then sits back down. 
all of these actions are actions of Christ laying aside his dignity, laying aside his rights as the master of this feast. I would encourage you, this is an aside, but if you ever get a chance to look up uh, a book called Alfred Edersheim, the author is Alfred Edersheim. He was a Jew who was converted to Christianity. He wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. It's a fantastic book about Jewish ceremonies. He goes into a lot of detail. When he deals with this passage, he, he makes a point by saying Christ was seated at the place of honor. He was seated at the head of the table, as it were. If you're going to wash one another's feet, you cannot stand on your dignity. You, you cannot stand and hold on to your offenses. Christ isn't standing on his dignity. Christ is not sitting in the seat of the master of the feast and demanding that these people get their feet washed. He gets up, takes on the towel, bows down, and goes to wash one another's feet. All that is to say is that you cannot be proud and wash one another's feet. You have to be humble in order to do this. Along with the example, along with the command... Christ gives a promise in verse 17. As he explains this symbolic action, he makes a promise. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, this is directed at our faith. Christ gives a promise here. All the promises of Scripture are directed at our faith. Not only must we humble ourselves to wash one another's feet, we have to do it in faith. We have to do it in faith that God will bless it when we wash one another's feet. You know, I'll, I'll use myself as the illustration and perhaps some of you will resonate. I find that when, when people have sinned against me, my temptation is to think they're going to get away with it. If I don't do something, they're going to get away with it. I have to do something about their sin or they're going to think it's okay. They're going to think they can keep doing this. They're not going to get what's coming to them. And I'm going to look like a pushover. I'm going to look like a doormat. I'm going to look like somebody that people can just sin against with no consequences. Maybe that's something that goes through your mind as well. Perhaps I'm just a unique sinner. This is why Christ gives us the promise. He says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. God will bless it. God will shower his blessing upon those who humbly and faithfully obey the example of Christ, and the blessing that he sends may turn out in ways you can't imagine. You know, in all of these things, I think it's important for us to keep in mind what the Lord Jesus said to John the disciple many years ago. I think it's interesting, John the disciple is the only one who records this. None of the other apostles record it in their gospels, but John does. Because I think John took the lesson to heart when the Lord Jesus rebuked him and said, you do not know what spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men. The Son of Man came to save them. This, in obeying the example of Christ, is one very critical way that we can advance that salvation by lovingly, covering over the sins of those around us by lovingly washing their feet. Now, one last comment we need to make about foot washing. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 5. 
As Christ gives the example, I think it means, obviously, what I've said it means, it means covering over the sins that, that acquire in people's lives, just like dirt on the feet. But, but the phrase, washing of feet, from that standpoint, lovingly covering over the sins of others, it, it becomes extended throughout the New Testament to, to refer to any kind of loving, menial, thankless service that we render to one another. Look at what Paul says about true widows. Um, he says in verse 9, 1 Timothy 5, 9, he says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, not unless she's been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she's diligently followed every good work. I think Paul puts this phrase in here about the description of a true widow as kind of a catch-all idea. For a widow is someone that has lovingly, but maybe thanklessly, in a very menial manner, shown her love and affection for the saints. She, she's so loving towards the saints that she's willing to even wash their feet. In that society, it probably meant literal foot washing. In our society, it doesn't really mean foot washing anymore, but it means any kind of loving, humble service. Now, the two ideas can't be fully separated, can they? You see, if on the one hand, we, we love the brethren or we, we serve the brethren with menial tasks, what would some of those menial tasks be? Cleaning up after the fellowship meal? Sweeping up the floor? Making the coffee? Cutting the grass? Picking up bulletins and stray communion cups that you just see? All of these would be ideas that fall under washing the saints' feet. If we do all of those things and yet we hang on to their sins... We're not covering over the sins of our brothers. All of those outward actions are just so much hypocrisy. That's not following the example of Christ from the heart. Because the example of Christ was to wash us of our sins. You cannot save men's souls. But what you can do is cover over the sins. Cover over the dirt that tends to collect on people's souls as they walk through this life. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and his example. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to follow his example, recognizing that we are not greater than our master, and how dare we think that we can not follow his ways. Help us to love one another by forgiving one another of our sins and washing one another's feet. And we pray you would enable us by your Spirit to do so. For Jesus' sake, amen.